Welcome back into the unofficial, official Roto Heat Guillotine League podcast. I'm Kevin Kloss, and wow, what a week one we had. Monday Night Football decides who goes home. Was it Henry Ruggs? No, it was Zay Jones in the end zone. And unfortunately, at the end of week one, we did have to say goodbye to our buddy Jordan. And I do want to say we reached out to Jordan. We extended a request to have him come on the pod. Didn't hear back from Jordan. It's okay. The show must go on. And instead, we're connecting with our main man, Curtis Ray, who was one of those bottom three teams really chewing off their fingernails as Monday Night Football wrapped up with the Raiders and the Ravens. Thanks to Kenyon Drake, Curtis stays alive. So he comes on the show. He and I are chatting it up, and he takes a chance to not only tell us how much fab you would need to offer him to get a top-tier wide receiver off his squad, but also take some shots at Blair in the meantime. So here's my conversation with Curtis Ray. Hope you like it. So, Curtis, man, thanks for making time for this. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about uh, your narrow escape from victory this past week in the Guillotine League. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers who got me in this trouble, so you know, I think I'll just uh, adopt the, his model of uh, R E L A X in this case. Yeah, you know, I was just kind of looking over your roster earlier today, and I d- I did notice that you were one of the lucky teams that was really able to survive <laughs> that Aaron Rodgers week one. I mean, you got to think that when you drafted him in the initial draft, that you were thinking when you take Aaron Rodgers that y- you're you're locking in some high end production, right? Yeah, I mean, I've if Rodgers has his you know typical twenty, right? I'm. I'm middle of the pack in this league, and I'm not. I'm not sweating it out uh, this week. But like one point three two points from him is a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, because kind of looking. I mean, just quickly looking at the rest of your team. Like you got Dalvin Cook at running back, so that gives you a stud running back. You got Chris Godwin, who's had a really good week one. Kenny Galladay, who you know maybe didn't give you what you were hoping. It wasn't terrible. He's double digits, you know. But he's a he's a solid wide receiver and. Kyle Pitts, who I do like, I like the fact that you got Kyle Pitts because as I've talked to some other people about, you know, in, in a league that's this deep, you got to kind of sacrifice some positions or be able to take some risks at some positions. And at tight end, that's a real good kind of play. Was that a strategy you had going in that you weren't going to spend high draft capital on like a Kelsey or a Kittle, but that you thought maybe you could get some good production out of Pitts, given what they expected him to be in that offense? I mean, you make me sound a lot smarter than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> what really happened was I took Pitts too early. I think there was a there was a run on tight ends right before my pick, and I think I took... I was at the top of the draft, so I had sort of a quick back-to-back snake there, and I think I took Pitts with my second overall, which is probably too high in this format right tough to sometimes get out of out of uh, dynasty mode of thinking yeah for sure you know as someone who plays predominantly in dynasty leagues and then all of a sudden uh, we're doing this which is kind of a combination of you know it's kind of redraft it kind of has elements of best ball to a, to an extent that you're just you're looking to put up the best scores that you can. So, yeah, I definitely know what you mean. It's hard to get away from that dynasty mentality sometimes. So I just I kind of want to hear from you on this. It was fun for me to watch Monday Night Football because that turned out to be a great game with you know the outcome hanging in the balance till the very last second. 
and constantly flipping back and forth. How nervous are you during Monday Night Football? I mean, you have Kenyon Drake going into that game. Did you think he was going to help you out at all? I mean, I, I thought he'd get some points, right? But I, I, I basically was ahead of, of Shane, who had Lamar Jackson. And I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not finishing ahead of him. I didn't have enough, enough buffer to, to uh, hope for that. Um, I just had to basically hope that Drake would outscore Ruggs and I could Pop Jordan, and, and then that's what happened, right? I mean, I got lucky in that looks like Ruggs was maybe a bit banged up early on and then really, really did nothing. But uh, I usually, yeah, I'd be watching this team really closely all through Sunday, but I was on the road in the wilds of northern Manitoba, so I, I kind of had uh, a break and that I didn't sit there chewing my fingernails all day long while my team didn't do very well. Um, and really didn't check in until end of day uh, Sunday, maybe even Monday morning, to learn that that uh, Rogers had basically practically posted a goose egg and, and put me in a bad spot. When I left, I thought because I had Godwin on Thursday night, and 23 points. I thought oh, I'm probably in pretty good shape for this for this week. But uh, he's only one player, and yeah, I kind of tanked after that. So, in a so game, watching Monday Night Football, yeah, I mean, the game was fantastic. But, uh, yeah, every time Drake touched the ball, got a, I got a little more confident, right? But, uh, yeah, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that Ruggs would grab a TD late and, and boot me. And, I mean, that looked like it had a certain possible, uh, you know, a possibility that that could happen right there. You know, Carr connects on Ruggs late in the fourth, and Ruggs takes it down to about the 10-yard line. And on that pass, you know, Carr puts a lot of air underneath that pass. If that pass is a little more zipped in there, I think there's a real chance that Ruggs is making a run to the pylon and maybe getting in. When you saw that, were you able to tell when that when that pass is thrown? Like, do you know it's going to Ruggs, or were you kind of waiting to see who's making this catch? Or were you aware that it yeah, was Ruggs? Yeah, I mean— that's the thing watching on TV. You know, you see a ball go up in the air on a long play, and you're like, "Don't be rugs, don't be rugs, just please don't be rugs." In the end, and it is. <laughs> but that's what makes this format so much fun, right? When you're, you know, it's, it's you, you hate being at the bottom and feeling like you're going to get eliminated, but uh, but it certainly makes for uh, a lot of excitement in, uh, in in these games. And you know, in the end, it wouldn't have mattered anyways because I finished ahead of Shane by like half a point, so he would have been the one out. Yeah, I, I got to say, looking, I was thinking about this the other day, looking back on it, I think you have a good team, so I don't ever want to say like, oh, well, you should have been the, the one that got bounced. Obviously not. If you draft a team with Rodgers and Cook and, and and Godwin and Galladay, I think you have a good squad. But when you think about, yeah, if that, if that pass to Ruggs is a little more zipped in there and Lamar Jackson fumbles in overtime, and that's really what flips the position between you and Shane, it was so, it was so wild. I mean, it was basically the three of you. You're right. It was the three of you at the bottom there, and it was, hey, two of these guys are going to survive, and one is going to get bounced. And while I think you know you could kind of look at this and say, well, Lamar Jackson has the easiest path to put up additional fantasy points, watching that game, I felt like that could have flipped a number of times in a number of different directions. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought uh, Shane would be cruising past the two of us, and it would be basically uh, a one-on-one fight, but. Um... Yeah, it ended up a three-dog race for most of it. So obviously you, you survive and some decent players end up being being dropped into the pool. Did you? What was sort of your approach going into waivers the other day? Were you thinking, hey, I'm near the bottom, I really need to spend some money, 
to make sure I'm not? Or you know, do you have more confidence in that roster moving forward, knowing that Galladay maybe underperformed a little bit, and obviously Aaron Rodgers massively underperformed? What was your approach going into this first round of waivers? I you know I really tried not to panic after week one. Um, like you said, my, my my roster has a couple holes in it, but there's there's some guys there. I mean, it's hard to say what Galladay is going to do as a giant, but I hope he's better than, you know, 10 points or whatever he had this week. So I'm feeling decent about my about my team. I I didn't, you know, really put a put a big bid on on anybody, even though I was close to being eliminated. Um, I, I figured, you know, last year I think I spent a lot of the money in my wallet a little bit too early, and then I did make it reasonably late but didn't have any uh, money to compete at the end. So I'm going to try to hold on to my cash a, a little bit. I did throw some bids in there just since somebody weirdly fell through the cracks. Uh, but no, I don't think I was even close on any of them. I mean, if you don't mind, who was uh, who was one of the guys that was available that you were thinking, eh, I'll throw a bid out. I'm not going to go crazy, but I'm hoping maybe, maybe this guy sneaks through. Who was the guy you were looking at? Um, you know, because... Pitts is is a rookie, and it sometimes takes guys a while to get started. Um, I wondered about Higby, though I I don't think I've really put much in on him at all in the end. Uh, I did look at uh, Aaron Jones. I mean, pretty much got to look at a guy like that. Um, and there was a third player, Mike Evans. I put uh, I put a bit on, but um, you know, I didn't I didn't really go after any of them uh, too hard. I would agree with what you said on Aaron Jones, you know, with running back being as scarce as it is. Anytime there's someone who's got sort of that that RB1 caliber or potential to put up RB1 numbers and all of a sudden they're hitting the waiver wire, I think you have to look at it. I think he ends up going for about 400 bucks. So, you know, 40%, I don't remember who ended up getting him, but 40% of that person's budget is gone. And that kind of puts you in a yeah, position... Like what you were talking about that happened to you last year where, you know, maybe you go and you snag a stud and they put you in a real good position, but then middle of the year, later in the year, if you don't have money at that point, then yeah, you're kind of a little bit hamstrung in terms of what you can do to add additional pieces. Uh, so obviously it doesn't sound like you went crazy in terms of uh, bidding for players. Is that generally sort of the approach you're taking this year or is part of that just based on what you look at of the at your current roster. I'm curious, like, what is your general approach in terms of using your fab in the guillotine league? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's situational, right? Um, you know, if I feel like my roster is falling too far behind, obviously I'm going to have to, to jump in and, and spend some of that money. But um, I tend to be, I would say, whether it's this format or any format, I tend to be a little bit conservative. Uh, uh, you know, trade trades, I tend to... I pretty much usually try to build through a draft. I know that's not the case here, but it just gives you an idea that I, I tend to be somewhat uh, conservative and uh, wait for that right guy. You know, just just like my wife told me uh, when looking for a, a lady, I'll know the right fit when I see it, and I'll 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 jump all over it. <laughs> Fantasy football and relationship advice in one episode—that's a big deal. Have um have you have you thought at all about because I know this is something that they said was different this year that people could take advantage of, and that's the idea of trading. 
I haven't even begun to think about the prospect of proposing an actual trade, partially because I, st- I still honestly don't know what I'm doing with my roster. Unfortunately, I'm heading into week two again, just with Leonard Fournette and Devin Singletary as my running backs. And that kind of hamstrings really anything I can do in terms of my roster. Are you thinking that that's some place that you want to explore? Is is the trade market something that you're going to look into? Or do you think you're going to just, like you said, ride with the roster a little bit longer and see what happens? I think for sure, at least early on, I'm, I'm riding with to see what what comes up on the on the waiver wire. I mean, they, you know, we're, we're, we're early here. There's going to be injuries that people are going to have to deal with, right? Uh, that's that's a, a for sure thing. So um, I maybe that's the kind of thing that forces trades a little bit is, you know, somebody, somebody loses somebody big and they get desperate and, uh, and maybe they trade a bunch of free agent bucks, right? Like Hmm, maybe that's the way that you need to uh, do something to in the trade, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So if I came to you and let's just have this live trade negotiation. So if I came to you and I said I was willing to give you eight hundred dollars out of my thousand dollar fab budget, would that net me most guys off of your team, or is that just like is is that not even something you were going to entertain? Like if I came to you and said, "Here's eight hundred dollars. I want Chris Godwin." Would you even listen to that? I don't know. I have to think about it honestly, because <laughs> it's a format too, like that kind of pitch. It's something that none of us are really familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. Guillotine leagues are reasonably new. Now we're adding trades to a somewhat new format, so it's hard to say how much is my fab worth to me compared to the players that I have. I guess you have to think about it as what what would I expect this guy to go for if I went out tomorrow? Yeah, right, yeah. And then you have to have the depth to, to replace that player. Like and this isn't this this isn't a fair comparison, but I want to say, this past week with less than, so for less than seven hundred bucks, I think this past week you could have gone out and gotten anyone, not just you, but anyone could have gone out and gotten Aaron Jones and Mike Evans. So if someone came to you with eight hundred fab dollars and said, "Hey, I want Godwin," here's eight hundred. You're theoretically replacing that that Godwin share with. Mike Evans and Aaron Jones. In that kind of a context, is that appealing or still no? It, it certainly sounds appealing when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, like you said, I think you made actually the best point though, which is, you know, first of all, the Guillotine League I think is new to most people broadly. You know, I don't think there's a lot of Guillotine League experts, or at least not people who who I'm in a lot of leagues with. And then you throw in that wrinkle, like you mentioned, of the trades being new as well. And I just think, you know, I don't think you can't look at it as as, as a standard trade market, probably because of the fab dollars. You know, there are leagues that obviously have a waiver system that include fab dollars, but it's so much more important in a league like this where theoretically every week you could be relying on how much fab you have left as to whether or not your season continues. That's right. Yeah. And your your fab is way more important in this format. And it's it's important every single week. It's important right down to the end as opposed to, you know, dynasty fab where, yeah, if there's a couple of guys, maybe you had to get this with injuries, you might need to make a, a move during the season, but you're not you're not relying on it like you are in this. So when we're just looking at moving move moving forward in terms of this, you know, what can what is a realistic expectation for when Blair can really can really get bounced in this league? 
you know, I, I know he's, you know, was unhappy last week with the podcast when he heard us talking about how he was going to go out early. You know, he's actually got a pretty good team. If you look at Blair's team, he's got he's got Kyler Murray, he's got CEH, he's got Joe Mixon, uh, Beckham, who didn't play last week, Amari Cooper, a Gronk. You look at Blair's team there, does that seem like a roster that you'd be concerned about? Well, all I know is this. So Blair went out week one last year. Mm-hmm. This year he posted the highest week one score. But I think if you look right now for week two, I think he has the lowest projection, so he's he's bound to go out. He'll he'll be happy he did better than last year at least, even if it's a case of week one hero to week two zero. But uh, he he could take he, he he could be bounced this week despite what he did in week one. And I think that's the unpredictability of this format. That's not just him, even though we like picking on him. But uh, you know, I suppose he can take solace in the fact that NFL projections are horrible. That's true. right. Sorry if I just ruined this pod's chance for for an NFL sponsorship, but uh, yeah, they're they're usually pretty bad. So you really never know who's going to go out one week to the next. I love that you already had on hand ready the Blair. Blair could get bounced in week two because he has the lowest projection. That's perfect. So hey, Curtis, man, thanks so much for making time for this. Don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're enjoying some well deserved rest and relaxation. So I'll let you get back to that. Thank you for coming on and chatting with me. And, of course, good luck in week two. If nothing else, just finish ahead of Blair. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I'll shoot for. It's, as long as you're last, you're, you're good. Uh, I think I think the challenge I put out to the rest of the league, though, is to, to do something about your lame team name. How am I supposed to get jacked out about about lasting a, outlasting a team called the Jordans or the Robs or, the, or even the Kevins? We, I mean, we've got two teams called the Travises. It's worse than the CFL one where they're like the Rough Riders and the Rough Riders. But you go up against a team called the Whistle Dogs, and yeah, you're you're shaking in your cleats. So I'd like to see you know a few more teams just get rid of their actual names and and put something out there. Okay, you know what? I will take that challenge. I will change mine. Hopefully before the kickoff of Thursday night. How's that? Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Curtis. Okay. We'll talk to you later. See ya. And that's going to do it for another episode of the officially unofficial Roto Heat Guillotine League podcast. Thanks to Curtis for coming on and chatting with us. And good luck to everybody coming up in week two. Somebody's got to go home. I hope it's not me. We hope it's not you. It's probably Blair. But we'll see. We'll talk to you guys next week.